Welcome to Closer to the Fire, a podcast from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. So why does the church not only survive in some of the most hostile places in the world, but in many countries and regions, the church is not only surviving, but thriving? And how is persecution against the followers of Jesus being used to advance God's kingdom on the earth? Well, we're going to try to answer some of those questions and many more. And here's some amazing stories of believers who at great risk are spreading the gospel. My guest is a man who has spent several decades working with and visiting persecuted Christians around the world in more than 50 countries. David Witt is the founder of Spirit of Martyrdom International, started in 2008. And David is extremely effective in multiplying key leaders in harsh and restricted areas. David has written an amazing new book, highly recommended right off the top here. It's called God's Global Grace Movement, Hope Rising from an Awakening in India. David, welcome to Closer to the Fire. Thank you, Greg. It's an honor to be online with you, and I've followed you for years and the impact you've had around the world. So uh, it's a blessing and looking forward to what the Lord has between our conversation today. Yeah, looking forward to it. And, you know, I've heard of you as well. And it's uh, kind of amazing that we never bumped into each other. But uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll be traveling and uh, hearing some more of these amazing stories from India. Now, before we talk about the book and, you know, how God is using persecution and, you know, why is Christianity, in fact, growing in some mm. pretty difficult and hostile places like rural India, what drew you to get involved in the persecuted church? Uh, Greg, really, the answer that comes right out of my heart, it sounds like the spiritual answer, but it's the reality of my life is that God put me on this path. I was a youth pastor for 14 years and serving youth ministry, and uh, I went to a Promise Keepers years ago, 1992, when things were first going out, uh, heard of the voice of the martyrs, signed up for the newsletter, and at that point, I was in a crisis of my own life, rediscovering Christianity. Uh, God had really shown me I'm a recovering Pharisee. And uh, when I saw the genuine article of believers laying their lives down for Christ uh, with, and the families having faith in it, and even joy at times, I saw that was something I didn't have. And I began to really wade into that, begin to get the newsletter, uh, getting updated, read everything Richard Wormbrandt um, has to write. And uh, that changed my life forever, where I felt a calling. And then in uh, 1998, uh, joined uh, Voice of the Martyrs for 10 years. And then Voice of the Martyrs gave a blessing in, uh, in uh, 2008, as you said, to really start a, uh, alongside ministry, Spirit of Martyrdom International. So it's really his story. And there's a lot of details, but he just put me together with like-minded people. My, my heart was just broken for it. I felt the passion, and I still do. And and by the God's grace, 21 years later here, still trying to just serve faithfully. You know what I love about uh, the Voice of the Martyrs, Canada, U.S., and around the world? You know, some of us, like me, have stayed with the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, you know, now for a couple of decades. Other ministries like yours uh, have come out of Voice of the Martyrs, and there's still yeah. these amazing relationships. I mean, you and I have mutual friends, Russell Stendell, yeah. Columbia Patacristo. We love that guy, love his family and mm -hmm. all that they're doing there. And uh, he really is somebody that has helped all of us, I think, understand even the theology of, of suffering that. We'll get that in a moment. So you start uh, Spirit of Martyrdom International 2008. But as I'm reading in the book, you're saying India is not at the top of the list of places to go. So what changed, David? 
Well, it was interesting. Yeah, 2008. I mean, we're a small you know, ministry trying to figure our way out and not a lot of resources, just a big vision. And I had been to India a few times and really saw the massive spiritual bankruptcy there. And, and, and when I thought about what we had to offer, what I had to offer, I thought, I literally remember Greg praying, Lord, don't send us to India. That's a, that's a spiritual and a financial black hole. There's no way that we'll have anything to offer. And, um, and, but what happens then is that on our path is that uh, one of our partners started corresponding with a, a, a little Indian man with no outside connections on the uh, internet. Uh, he had one day, he'd been given this, this old computer that took an hour to boot up. And one day he wow. just decided to uh, Google uh, Christian Skype chat because he was thinking, is there anybody else out there that thinks like I do? Mm. And may I get a prayer and encouragement? And thousands of names came up and his na- this one name landed his eyes right in Arizona where our headquarters are. And, and so he um, you know, Googled or, or ch- chat, Skyped her or whatever it was. And um, anyway, they start type for a year. And she's a person who was an invalid, couldn't leave her house, but had a huge missions heart. So she just started serving the Lord by sharing the gospel on the internet. And for one year, um, she was just captivated by his vision, his passion. And so after a year, she says, you know, you should, you and David, uh, which should meet because uh, you know, he, he might be able to join you in, in what God's put upon your heart. And so when I heard about him and I heard in one year, he had never even asked for money. Um, you know, the, he wasn't after the money. He was after the spiritual relationship, encouragement, uh, collaboration. I That really caught my attention. And so then I heard his amazing testimony. And, um, and that's when we launched with India in, in 2011. Now you're talking about Pastor Singh. Uh, you yes. you talk about him in the book. In fact, he does the forward. I mean, I, this is a guy that you respect. Uh, you describe him as a spiritual giant, but small in stature. Yeah. And was that the key relationship, David, that really got this thing rolling? Because as I read this guy, and I'm going to be honest, I feel a little convicted because you know, in having, you know, very limited resources, sleeping in alleys, doing whatever he needs to do, sleeping under trees so he can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did he influence you? And and how has he been kind of that spark that God used to really build this ministry and see thousands coming to Jesus? Yeah, that's a great question, Greg, because, you know, I think healthy relationships are always mutually benefiting. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's some resources and things we could contribute being in the North American church here, but uh, you're hitting it on the head there. uh, When you talk about what have I came from him and he was such an impression and he's impacted me with, I think really living out the Christian life. I mean, what's we see happening in India right now is acts alive where it's the Acts of Apostles are still going on. These are people who have never heard the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. never been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're seeing miracles happening. They're, 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 their lives are being changed around. They're, they're you know, in disempowered people all of a sudden yeah. have hope. 
they have influence they have a purpose they're they're driven for a greater glory they're seeing lives changed around them i never thought in my life greg that i would see something so powerful in a move of the holy spirit and so i think pastor singh has introduced me to the genuine article of what the transformed life is all about i mean he lives eats sleeps and drinks the gospel of jesus christ his life is beautiful beautifully e exemplified and in simplicity of faith. I mean, he reads it in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit's given a beautiful understanding, interpretation, intimacy, and he carries it out. Um, and and I, so we've been able to take much of what we've seen and then look at the scripture and kind of more systematize it. That's why I wrote the book, because he just does it naturally, but there's not like a manual they've written. And so I wanted to just, you know, advertise, hey, this is what God's doing. And look how this matches perfectly in scripture when God is, is moving. Yeah, and, and he's moving in such a powerful way. In fact, I was, as I've been working through your book, and and really, as again, there's the challenge, uh, I think healthy conviction, but a lot of encouragement. And I had a family member the other day that, you know, just struggling with some, you know, medical issues. And I was thinking of Pastor Singh and some of the others that I'm reading mm -hmm. about in your book, and I'm going, it is the same Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when you read stories about somebody that is literally dying and they have no knowledge of Jesus, happen to meet a Christian businessman, mm -hmm. and, and this, you know, brief relationship, you know, kind of develops in that moment, and this Christian businessman says, well, go home and pray in the name of Jesus, and this young man is healed. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, that is the same Holy Spirit that I can pray with my family member, but sometimes we get cluttered in our thinking, and we have so many uh, help books and things like that. Uh, so is it the simplicity, David, that you're seeing that, you know, maybe they don't have the background that yet we do, and we haven't been talked out of believing in miracles, they, they read it, this happened in the book of Acts, and I'm praying in the name of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I think, let's even go back to how we need each other, how we're benefiting from one another. I mean, in America, we do have a lot of tools and, you know, we can encourage and certainly we have a lot of resources. But what we lack here is faith because mm -hmm. we have so many man-made tools. We figured it out. We don't need God. Uh, when they go to India, they lack tools, they lack wealth, resources, but what they have is massive faith. And, and we know that it's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews tells us, of course. And so, um, you know, that's that's why I think this relationship has been such uh, a mutual benefiting relationship, because when they see somebody that's sick, hurting, broken, um, they, they, they know their father is in heaven and he has unlimited resources and they're praying with faith. And so we're and so they're seeing God moving in dramatic and miraculous ways. And so I think that's what we need, Greg. We need a renewal of our mind, what you were talking about. It's the same God. It's the same Lord, it's the same Holy Spirit. So we're weak in faith so they can beat us so that we could go out there with more courage, boldness to really begin to um, you know, share the word with, with uh, greater faith. Seeing amazing things happen. Uh, leaders are being raised up. Uh, you're training leaders. We're going to talk about that in a moment and some of the methods that you're using. But this podcast, of course, is devoted to the persecuted church. 
when we see the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing, and you know, so as I'm reading in your book, and and I've traveled to India and around the world, hearing these amazing stories, you know, the healings, the you know, the deliverances, the dreams and visions, and all the things that God does by His Holy Spirit to draw people to Himself. But inevitably, and especially a country like India that is very religious and very dark, there's going to be persecution. And so that's a part, obviously, of what is happening. The kingdom of God is advancing, but we know that the enemy is also coming back at the church. Greg, persecution in India is rising um, by by open doors uh, standard and and uh, watch world watch list. It's number 10 persecuted nation in the world. And what we've seen in history is that when the gospel is advancing and advancing forcefully, as Mark even talks about in, in the gospel there, that persecution parallels it because the, the dark world and the forces of evil do not want the gospel to be put forth with the freedom of people and what that represents. And so it is a spiritual battle. And so even more how we can learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters in India, uh, but they need our help. They need our prayers. They need our encouragement. Uh, They need our resources to come alongside of them as literally this week, um, two little, they even said, when I talked to Pastor Singh this week, two two, uh, house church pastors were arrested. And I was smiling when I said that because where I'm going, uh, because it's serious. And there was a mob showed up and, and, and they were beaten with sticks and, and, uh, and shoes. And the reason that they arrested is because the RSS has been watching these pastors and they've been very effective in a village. And maybe just explain to our, our listeners and viewers uh, what the RSS is. Yeah. Great question. Uh, that's the fundamental Hindu wing of the government there who wants to, their agenda is to bring uh, one language, Hindi, one religion, uh, Hinduism. Uh, and so they see all non-Hindus as a threat, especially Christians who, that are spreading in India. And so they're being very uh, attentive to try to stop the spread of Christianity. For instance, one of the things we found up in the North is that they're spreading pamphlets and asking the Hindus to report anybody who comes and talks about this person, Jesus, or offers salvation in another name or anything outside Hinduism, and they are to report them and they'll give them a reward of some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is an area that's very oppressed uh, in fundamental Hinduism. Now, um, just a few, a uh, couple months ago, a man who was dying of a terminal disease and, and one of these uh, house uh, church pastors, one of them that was arrested, came in, found him and found the need, prayed for him, hmm. and he was fully healed. All right. And, and, yeah. and he received and he received faith and shared with his family. And so a little group was made there. Well, the word got out to the fundamental Hindu. So they've been watching these two. And so this past week, they were arrested uh, with a mob. The police got them and they're, they're, they're in jail right now. Um, and, and so that's the, the reality for their life. So when I was talking to Pastor Singh on this and the sweetness and, and the power of his faith, he goes, you know, these two little pastors just being faithful, touching lives, nobody knew about them 
just a couple of weeks ago. But he says, isn't it interesting how God just gave an upgrade and now thousands of people are praying for him. And I just was amazed by that attitude because here I am ready to do whatever I can and, you know, get, get money there and get the courts behind it. And he says, no, we're praying, encouraging. We're just praying that God discreetly take care of this. He, he said to me, he said, I just reminded my wife that Peter didn't have a lawyer. He had he had Jesus as his advocate. So we're we're gonna we're just expecting God to do great work. And he is doing great work. And you know, the voice of the martyrs, we do help in legal cases and we'll continue to do that. There, there's definitely a place for it. We even yes, see in scripture, is. you know, where where Paul even used the legal system in his own defense. He, he didn't always do that, but there are there's time and a place for that. But you know, it's a good reminder. And, and that kind of leads into the next question, then, David. You know, because this question is, how does God use persecution? Because I've spoken in hundreds of churches now in Canada and around the world. And, you know, you know, we want to stop persecution. How do we stop yeah. persecution? And, and I get it. We don't want our brothers and sisters to be suffering. I mean, that, this is something that we want to pull back from. But yet God uses suffering. So, I mean, there's another example then of how God uses persecution to advance the kingdom. Doesn't make sense in here into our minds. But, you know, from a, a kingdom perspective, it makes total sense. Yeah. And, you know, there's a hero that, Greg, you and I have that I'm just going to quote, and that's uh, Richard Wormbrand. Mm -hmm. and, and he used to address this all the time. He said, the best way to come against persecution is to bring the gospel to the persecutors, have their heart changed, and they now become our friends. Yeah. And, 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 and when not says we want laws and, you know, constraining with force, human force to try to stop the persecution, but God has the best means. He, he could change the nature of a man so that that nature now has the fruit of the Holy Spirit of peace and love and, and, and will be a blessing to the church. And so we have the greatest weapon of all. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. And, and that's why as a body of Christ, we could come beside these believers who are doing the work of these remote and restricted and uh, unreached areas, um, you know, we don't know the language. We won't be as effective as them. They're willing to pay the price and we could just offer a few tools. And, and, and so that's, I think, why this work and relationship around the world, Greg, uh, is so important in these days. Um, you know, one of the things that we quote is 40% of the world is is in persecuted and, and, and unreached areas, hmm. but only 3% of all Christian resources, that's including missionaries, people, money given to the church and Christian organizations goes to the most persecuted and unreached areas. Uh, and so that's why even this book, I hope is a kind of a gold chest of realizing, wow, what beauty we can find in these people's relationships, their lives as example to us, and that they are part of the family. And we can come beside them on, on certain issues for certain tools to really be one family. You know, I like how you put it too, is, you know, they're not dependent upon our money. Uh, and as you talked about, even Pastor Singh, he wasn't looking for money. He was looking for relationship. But that's not to say that we shouldn't help. I mean, that's what we do at the Voice of the Martyrs, and that's what your organization does as well. I mean, you buy bicycles, uh, you know, you you're, uh, have the discipleship school, which I want to talk about now, but it's not about putting money into it. But yet, on the other hand, we don't want to absolve ourselves uh, from, you know, financially helping in situations. But I think the key is, is not just to throw money at situations, but to pray into it. And how can yeah. we best 
help our brothers and sisters to advance the gospel without them. And one of the things we talk about are the Voice of the Martyrs and Glenn Penner, who former CEO and wrote that mm-hmm. very powerful book in the shadow of the cross, talked a lot about not creating dependency. Mm-hmm. So we still we want to have that relationship. And I know I can just tell by listening to you, reading your book, you have been so inspired by Pastor Singh and the many people that you talk about in your book. So how do you, when you're doing your discipleship training, uh, and I know the, you know, the curriculum is the Bible. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the main thing and hearing from the Holy Spirit. But what are some of the things that you're doing in the uh, discipleship training? And I imagine the many verses on persecution probably come up from time to time. Yeah, well, again, thank you for yeah mentioning what we've really gleaned and learned from India and around the world and just my experiences that we put into a training. Because what I saw with Pastor Singh was all like we had talked about, all these issues that were being lived out in a genuine, authentic way. And so we have just taken uh, what we call global ambassadors, and we're helping believers basically see the highlights and the patterns in Scripture that God that, that is the Lord's given to us to imitate him, that it's our new life in Christ. And so it's nothing new. It's really getting back to the basics. This is a football thing. And, and so um, some of those things that are highlighted, obviously, in the book here that we want people to capture to see that God is all about multiplication. And so you hit on that is the Glenn Pinner. Again, he, he really influenced me. And I want to uh, give a credit to his name and and the and the great book that I encourage people to get uh, still mm-hmm. that you mentioned. But anyway, yeah. So you talk about is the problem out there as we see is the dependence upon the Western money. Um, you know the great white hope it's been referred to uh, before, and uh, that's not the ideal and what the the word of God sets up for God sets up that He is the provider, uh, and so He wants us to to, to all to create dependence on him. Mm -hmm. So what happens is if we create, um, you know, long-term relationships, that's all financial and, you know, their livelihood is based upon our giving, you know, kind of thing that could tend to, you know, put, they put their faith in us as humans instead of faith in Christ. So as we align to what God has shown me in my heart with spirit of martyrdom, everything we weigh has to be multiplied and reproduced. Mm -hmm. And and so for instance, like the schools themselves that I know we're going to talk a little bit more about, but the schools themselves are, they're six months long, but they're a tool. But once they graduate, there's not a pastor support program. And I'm not going to say that that's wrong. I'm just saying that's not where God led us to. For the problem that we saw where the pastor support program comes is to pit upon our money, and we can only expand it as fast as we could raise money here. So we give the tools. So that's a tool. We give tools of bikes. So that because of bike, but we don't fix the bikes. They literally own the bikes. We give them away. Uh, and we always say, we don't know if we can give more tomorrow because only God knows tomorrow. So every time we give, it's always for that day, that moment with, with no promises in the future. That way we're all dependent upon Christ. We're all looking towards him as how our provider and we're sharing it together for the advancement of the gospel. So let's talk about the discipleship school. And I, and I love that. In, in fact, I was you know, reading about the bicycles and, you know, about a hundred dollars us, you can get a bike. And I just took my bike into the repair shop. That's something I like to do for exercise. And the repair bill was more than one of your bikes. So I'm going to send you uh, enough to buy a bike in India. Just (laughs) just ease my conscience. No, no. Cause I, I I have seen how that, uh, you know, how that is there. And and again, this kind of messed up time, you know, where we have with, you know, trying to connect with our brothers and sisters and really, 
Jenny wanted to help, but, but again, not creating dependency. So when you saw what was going on in Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban takes over, uh, and then I think well-meaning Christians in the West saying, we got to get every follower of Jesus out of that country or they're going to be killed. Mm-hmm. But then you think about 20 years you know, since the Taliban were kicked out, and the thousands that have come to faith in Jesus, and it's been a slow process, but there's been amazing things happening in Afghanistan. How do you respond to that? And maybe even, you know, say in India, if there's an area that would say explode and we got to get the Christians out, how do you respond to that? Because if you take all the light out, how's the gospel going to go forward? Amen. Yeah, Greg, that's such a great question. In America, you know, we have a little bit of pain. We take Tylenol. So mm-hmm. we're always looking for the exit, yeah. the, the least uh, resistance. So, um, but I think we've been discipled well, again, by our persecuted brothers and sisters who have shown us that biblically, uh, it's very legitimate times. It says go from city to city when you're persecuted. They go from city to city. That was just pointed out to me in this very situation with Afghanistan. That if you really look at uh, the context of city city in Israel, that there's probably enough cities in Israel to, to continue to go city to city until Jesus returns. So it isn't saying necessarily go to another country. It's going to, uh, it says, flee to another city. And, uh, and, and the, the word of God says persevere under uh, trial and difficulties. So there's a time that we are to flee, maybe to another city or wherever God leads. But there's also a time that we persevere under persecution, difficulties, and it says, blessed are we when we do that? And says, and the Lord says, He'll He'll fight the uh, battles. And so, our, you know, I, you know, Greg, you and I's heart obviously is we want to be there on the front lines for the believers, especially stay. And I mean, there's great organizations out there for refugee status, and that's very biblical too. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we serve from organizations that we want to applaud, come beside, offer yeah, tools to the believers who are staying in the battle. And, uh, and let them know not, they're not alone. And so I was so inspired to hear from some of our networks of people we work that the majority of the belie- Afghan believers of some of the networks we were working with, they told me that those majority um, Afghan believers decide to stay. They're in Afghanistan today. Now, we already know some have been martyred in the last few weeks. They've, they've paid the ultimate price. But we also know that God is going to, by history, by the word of God, supernaturally, God is going to provide for some of those secret believers. We can't forget them. We got to remember them. We got to pray for them. And it's the same thing we see happening in India, where uh, these uh, Indians are being called to go to very uh, restricted, violent, let's just call it violent um, villages who do not want anything to have anything to do with Jesus and Christianity. And, um, and yet they're being called and they're going forth courageously. And, um, and we don't want, you know, to taint that contaminate that with, oh, no, no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, unsafe people in these, you know, villages that are open to the gospel. You know, some of us have unique calls. And I think all of us need to applaud and honor the uniqueness of all of our calls. Some are called to lay down their lives unto death. And, 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 and some are called like us to support that group. And, uh, and so that's what's going on in India. And that's certainly our heart. Yeah, and and I've met, you know, believers all over the world and say, you know, why are you staying here in this hostile place day after day? You've got family here and and I have, you know, three daughters and a son and, and I'm thinking, you know, if I was in Afghanistan and the Taliban takes control and we know how that happens with the, you know, radical Islam and the treatment of women, it's a horrible horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And so we never judge why people want to leave a place, but we also know and I and I'm glad to hear what you've said and I've heard that also from uh 
uh, John Weaver, who we recently had on our program as well, talking about how, you know, some of these Afghan believers definitely want to stay in his, and, and the majority really want to, you know, build on what God has been doing. So in your book, God's Global Grace Movement, love it. It's awesome. Uh, but you talked about the story of, of starting a hundred thousand churches in unreached villages. Uh, and again, when you think of India, you know, the, the spiritual landscape, you've talked about the radical Hindu government and wanting to cleanse the country of not only Christians, but Muslims and non-Hindus. So it's a difficult place. But again, the gospel is growing again, there's persecution happening. But are you seeing some things that are working in India and in the transformation that's happening there in, in terms of the spiritual landscape, David, that can be reproduced in other parts of the world? Yeah, it, and I think I want to tell a story that I think will wrap up a lot of things that we're talking about. One of the uh, church planters I interviewed a few years ago, he was a radical Hindu uh, trained by the RSS, hated Christians, saw them as a threat to all their gods. I mean, why would these Christians be teaching one God when there's many gods. And so they're dishonoring the gods of Hinduism. And uh, so he was very radical and he was violent and he would go with the groups to beat Christians, evangelists. Um, he he uh, was proud of the fact that he would beat women um, to unconscious because he felt like women passed the faith on the most. He would even beat children at times. I mean, he was just remorseless. And um, so this um, one day he heard somebody tell him that there was uh, secret Christians in his own village because mm. he had been traveling around his own village that were having a secret prayer meeting. So he was enraged and wanted to find if that was true. And it's going on right then. He goes and he listens carefully to yeah, and he sees there's people in the inside with doors, you know, closed and and uh, the windows. But you know, they're really you've been there, Greg. I mean, mm -hmm. they're just they're bamboo. I mean, it's really thin walls. So he listens carefully and he hears them praying that Jesus would come and be Lord over that village. That once he heard that, he had enough and he saw there's Christians. He takes a big stick, smashes the door in, starts beating the people, beats them out. The, the, the owners of that little hut there in that village are fined, told never to talk about Jesus again. And this is what happens. Hmm. The, that, that Christian couple starts loving this guy. They, they're gentle, they're humble. They, they start just showing him kindness. And, uh, and so he gets curious and he asked him, he said, who is your God? Who is this God? And he said, well, our God came as a lamb, the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And that really like surprised him and captivated him because all the gods of Hinduism are fearful. And so he wanted to know more about that guy to begin to ask more questions because he thought, what kind of God would come as a lamb that's defenseless, that's not scary? And so they began to tell him more. And he was so drawn in that he said, well, let me, I, I, I want to know more about this God. So they took him to uh, another village, a house church. He heard the gospel with tears. The, wow. the Holy Spirit came, touched him, turned his life around. It's a, it's a lot of details here. He ended up after that going back, apologizing to everyone who he had beaten, uh, mistreated, they, some of them are his best friends. He ended up going through our school there, and, and now he's a church planner. So it's a true Saul to wow. Paul uh, conversion. So the reason I want to tell that story is you, you hit a couple things that we, we do share in the book. One is hear and obey. Hmm. So one of the things that they teach is we're not going to tell these pastors where to go. They need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit because it's life and death. And if, and, and if we sit to a village and they get killed, Greg, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm going to feel pretty guilty about that. But if they go to a village 
and, and you know, laying their lives down and, you know, d- difficult things happen. What those regional di- directors ask, uh, they say, well, who sent you to the village? And they, and they make them think about that first calling. They said, well, the Holy Spirit, God spoke to me at that. And they said, well, then God's going to provide for you. For instance, there's one pastor. He came to this unreached village and the village leader came. And so if you keep up preaching Christ, I'm going to chop you up like a chicken. And he knew he could do it. And he was serious. So he called the regional director, told him the story, said, what am I to do? And again, we're getting into theology here where the Bible says it's okay to flee at times. So we, mm-hmm. so they have to conti- not only hear the Lord the first time, they have to continue to hear because maybe it would be a time to flee. We're not going to tell them no, but we're just going to remind them, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Who called you there? And he said, yeah, the Lord called me there. And the guy, and the, the oh. regional leader said, well, you know what? If he kills you, we'll give you a good burial. <laughs> because in India, yeah. they're always afraid they won't have a good burial because, you know, who's going to respect, honor them? Where are they even going to be buried in the ground? And the Hindus reject them. So it's kind of scary. He was going to take care of them. And they're promising, no, you're one of our family. We're going to bury you. And so he remained. And he, to this day, continues to have a thriving house church. He hasn't been killed. God has the final word. And so you see, we see the hearing of the word of God, the priesthood of believers. We te- you know, that's key to the, everybody has direct access to God. Um, and, and so all these are just the foundations these church planners learn so they can remain faithful in difficult situations. You know, when I read that story the other day, uh, the one you're talking about, the guy cutting him up like a chicken if he stayed, and I shared that with my wife, actually, and I said, you know, if somebody said that to me, my reaction would be, I'm getting out of town. Yeah. And and then the responsibility for, you know, the person overseeing that particular Christian leader to say, well, did the Holy Spirit speak to you? Okay, he did, then stay, and we'll give you a proper burial my response as the leader would be to say, get out of there. You know, so, I mean, again, this, what you're saying is biblical. Totally. That is the theology, what the Bible teaches about suffering for righteousness, the kingdom advancing and all the things are going to happen. But the reality is that that people are losing their lives. And in this case, that didn't happen. But uh, David, you've had two of your leaders back in 2017 in India who were murdered. So, this is a very personal thing for you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's sobering because I was at the graduation of both of them. And, you know, ultimately I shook their hand. I didn't have them really know them very personally, but I've been to a lot, most of the graduations. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been able to commission and pray for them and, you know, bless them with encouragement. And, and so both, you know, I, I felt like, okay, you know, my, my hands are dirty. My, my, uh, I participated in a sense, right, of the decisions and the consequence uh, going to there. And so at that point, Greg, I think all of us have to decide if we're going to live a life with that regret, how good is God? Yeah. Is he the final decision maker? Um, did I Was I following the Lord there? Because And then ultimately, or with a clean heart, did I coerce those two church you know, uh, planters to go to those areas? No, I didn't. I taught them the same thing. That to listen to the Lord. So at the end, we're all looking towards a good God and to trusting him with consequences, which even means our health, uh, our life uh, in the end. And, you know, because of God's grace in my life, he's given me a great faith that he works all things out for good. And we specifically, both of those pastors, uh, you know, those those church planters who were, were died, there's some amazing fruit that have come out of it. I mean, that we see but we're not going to know the whole story right. until heaven. So there's this tension that 
as we're going towards Jesus' return, we have to hold this in faith of the goodness of God because we don't like the messiness. We don't like the pain, the suffering, and the death that the gospel in this you know spiritual battle that we're in. And so, you know, Greg, but at the end of the day, the only reason I'm still doing this today is just what God's done in my heart and, uh, and a good faith that he's working it all out for good. Yeah, we have to have that eternal perspective. And I don't want to give too much of the book away because I want people to read it. But uh, you do talk about the fact that, you know, when we think of end times, you know, God's judgment. But you're also saying, no, we need to focus more on every tribe and language mm -hmm. and tongue will be bowing before the King of Kings, the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ. That for the believer is where our attention should be because I, and I even know, you know, maybe Christians that are not as mature in the scripture or non-Christians through this pandemic. They're, they're, mm -hmm. you know, is this the mark of the beast by getting the mm -hmm. vaccine? And is this the judgment of God? And, you know, I've on my other, you know, ministry with 100 Huntley street have talked to theologians and saying, no, mm -hmm. this is not um, a judgment of God, but it's a part of the groaning that's taking place. So the importance, David, of, focusing on and having an eternal perspective for the work that you're doing, the voice of the martyrs, and in this world where there's going to be suffering, how important is that to have that eternal perspective? Uh, life and death, right? Because yeah. this life, I mean, I think the pandemic is, has shaken all the foundations of people to find, for people to really see what's in their heart, where their faith is, uh, mm. where they're experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, peace, or, or lots of fear. And so I think the persecuted church is also shakes that because when you go through suffering difficulty, you have to really question, you know, what is in your heart and what do I really believe? Um, and, and so I think, and then, you know, I, I agree with you. There's a cynicism. It's strange. I think, uh, Greg, I'd love your thoughts on it too, but it seems like most believers look towards the negative human yeah. corruption of Babylon in scripture and really don't meditate and rejoice and think upon the victory. But, you know, you name part of it there. The, Jesus came back for spotless, blameless bride. Yeah. I mean, what does that look like? That's beautiful. That means wow. full of, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It, it talks about is, you know, we'll be like the calf uh, released from the stall, joy, little children. Um, it talks, uh, you know, scripture again talks about what our forefathers prayed to see every tribe, every nation. Um, you know, the, what I point people to is the life of Christ is the example for the church. And yes, Christ had to go through the crucifixion, but now we live in the resurrected power of that, of mm -hmm. Christ. Now as the church, do we have to go through difficult times and in times, you know, persecution? Yes. But right after it is this glorious time in the millennium and, and things that we don't understand all the mysteries of, but there's this there's this resurrected power that God wants to demonstrate for his glory upon the body of Christ. So ultimately the times ahead are better um, than we even have right now, not worse. Everybody looks at the worst things instead of seeing the promises and the victory, and the power that God is bringing in these latter days. Yeah. And, and Paul wrote about that too. You know, our present sufferings, not even be compared mm -hmm. to what will be revealed in the glory of Jesus. It's 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 absolutely amazing. Uh, before we go, I want to talk a little bit about how persecution, you know, in India, you know, has helped to, uh, you know, really define mold and, as you say in your book, sanctify this movement, mm. which is church planting uh, with a martyrdom spirit. Explain that, David. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, I think the reality of it is, is that Jesus invites us to it. In America, uh, I think we, we're slow to really embrace the words of Jesus. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me, which a cross was a death sentence. It was the electric chair equivalent. And, and look at the scriptures, unless a seed fall the ground and dies, it shall uh, remain alone. But if it dies, it bears many seeds to live is Christ. And a lot of Americans have a hard time embracing the second part. Of, they quote it, but they don't really think about, but to die is gain. Mm-hmm. So it's better than even the living Christ is the die gain, you know, yep. uh, fully in the physical presence of Christ. Um, and so when you're in persecuted areas, I, I learned this so much from Richard Wormbrand, again, uh, founder of Voice of the Martyrs. Um, and that, you know, ultimately you have to count the cost uh, when you're faced with, you know, suffering, persecution, but ultimately death. In India, death is one of the options of persecution. And as we talked about, it happens and is happening. And, and so um, fear, the first thing, you know, Greg, isn't it interesting that the first symptom of sin in the garden, when Adam and Eve uh, took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was fear. They feared each other yeah. and they saw that they're naked and clothed themselves fig leaves. Then they feared God and ran from them. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that too. So I see one of the first symptoms to, to sap and quench the Holy Spirit is fear. And if any uh, church planter is living with fear, they're, they're going to have a hard time obeying. Because when God says, go to that violent, nasty village, they're going to, you know, their, their, their emotions are going to go, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to get beaten and possibly killed. And I have wife and kids and on and on. And so what the network over there has embraced was a spirit of martyrdom is the spirit of Christ. Cause we know um, in scriptures of people look, Christ is identified as a martyr. God is identified as a martyr. So is the Holy spirit. So we have his uh, spirit. And so, and at the graduations, they even make a prayer of martyrdom where they put their hands to their throat representing their death, lift it up to the sky, surrender it to God wow. and pray revelation um, to 10 there, be faithful unto death that you might receive a crown of life. And we see so much freedom there. And, and many of the Indians have shared it. And, and I've seen, I've been there with the tears flowing as they're releasing those fears as it's hard. It's a real hard decision, but then there's this freedom that they have like, wow, I really am in the hands of God. I have nothing to fear. He has my life. He has my days. No one's going to add anything. No one's going to subtract. The issue is, do I trust Jesus with all my days and the path of suffering, even death unto eternal glory. And so that, power, that boldness, that courage has led such freedom and effectiveness in India. Wow. The, the word picture of that, again, reading that in your book, um, we didn't do that at our Bible school graduation and not putting that down. But I mean, yeah. I guess that's, you know, when Paul, the apostle said, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. Mm-hmm. And we know that crucifixion means death, death to self. And again, yeah. Uh, part of the challenge living in Canada, uh, United States, and the Western world is we don't really understand that like our brothers and sisters in India. And that's what I always say. That's why we need to hear some people like you and people that are going through persecution so that we can understand what many of our brothers and sisters are going through to strengthen us in our faith. Because, you know, there's different kinds of obstacles and spiritual roadblocks that are here in Canada. Now, David, before we go, I want to just talk about some of the people that you write about in your book. You know, we've talked about Pastor Singh, there's Jamel uh, Ravathi, who also read about uh, somebody that wasn't even a church leader, somebody that was in a house group or house church, as we call it. Why is it important for you to write those stories? And, and what are you wanting those that read your book to get out of that? 
Yeah, just for a point of accuracy and clear, clarity, too, all those names have been changed, which you would understand, Greg, mm-hmm. because we do have to protect them. And it's our job to to want to share the testimony of Jesus, but not bring difficulty on the work. Um, so just so people know, those are changed when they read the book. But yeah, so the test in Revelation uh, 12, 11 says they overcame him, to, referring to the beast and saying, by the blood of the lamb, by the word, logos of their testimony. So we see that when we experience Christ and he becomes our power and source and, and we now reflect his image, that that is a power to undo the work in the heavens and what Satan is doing. And so one of the best teachers of the word is not principles that we see happening, like, you know, leadership one-on-one principles, yeah. but for us to catch Christ that exemplifies principles, certainly. And these testimonies are showing the reality of the incarnation of working out in the flesh um, in this, the most unreached nation on earth is India. Um, and, and so that's why we share test. Uh, there's a testimony in every chapter. We have 15 chapters because we, we didn't want to just talk about the biblical principles and the patterns. We wanted to show people how it's being worked out in real life right now in India. Yeah. And that's, you know, absolutely so important. And, and as you share the stories, uh, the miracles and how they came to faith and, and again, the simplicity of the gospel. And, you know, I've done many interviews and talked to, you know, many persecuted believers and leaders as well and say, well, why, you know, my friend Hermo Shariat, who, you know, is broadcasting into Iran. And, you know, we had done a podcast like this and he had just finished a, a church service that they did on the internet. And he was just so excited. And because somebody got on there and said, you know, I just led my family to the Lord. And I said, well, well, how did he do that? You know, or he says, well, he shared the gospel, but what about some of the roadblocks? And he says, oh, they don't think about that. It says it in the Bible. So they do it. And it, you know, <laughs> yeah. man, oh man, yeah. I, I've got to live like that too. So, you know, it's, yeah. it, God is working by his Holy Spirit in India. Like soon I think is going to have the most, uh, the largest population in the world. So much darkness, but God is working in so many amazing ways. Uh, I want to give your information, uh, your website there, uh, David, and also the book, God's Global Grace Movement, Hope Rising from an Awakening in India. Again, I highly recommend it. I'll put all the information on the show notes. Uh, David, before we close, is there anything you'd like to add? No, I just want to ask the believers to really get serious about prayer, engage. We got the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Church coming up. Uh, in the first uh, Sunday of, of uh, November, that's November 7th. And, and we're encouraging churches and believers around the world to, for sure, personally, mm-hmm. take that time to really pray, but as they can influence their churches, their organizations to rally around our family around the world. We just saw what's going on in Afghanistan. That's the tip of the iceberg around the rest of the world. The least we could do is take at least one Sunday a year and and really um, focus and emphasize our persecuted family. And that I mean a lot. We have, I know Beyond Canada has some great resources, other uh, you know organizations we do also on our website. So I encourage people, get some resources, get their churches energized and begin to pray and see what God does. And I'll also put that information about the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church coming up in November on the show notes. And if you want to go to the website, it's idop.ca. That's idop.ca in Canada. A Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors, and other organizations across Canada involved in that. And then right across the world. David Witt, thank you so much for joining me, brother. God bless you. You're doing amazing work. And uh, look forward to a, a face-to-face conversation sometime 
maybe in India or wherever we might meet. Likewise, Greg. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, like our brothers and sisters in India, the closer you are to the fire. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. God bless.